11th chapter of Romans. <coughs> Tonight we're going to begin, as you see on the board here, in verse 11 through 16, where Paul states two things about Israel. A reality about them, the way they are, and a possibility, the way they can be. They feel like God has rejected them. And because he hasn't saved all of Israel. And Paul will wind up telling them that God will save all Israel, but all of Israel is not all of Israel. There's the Israel who walk by law and those who walk by faith. In Habakkuk 2, verse 4, the Old Testament declared that the just shall live by faith, not by law. The just shall live by faith. They missed that. They were proud within themselves that they were self-made. They obeyed the law. They observed the law. None of them obeyed it because Paul has already stated in his uh, doctrine of sin in the first uh, three chapters. In chapter 3, he said there's not a one that ever obeyed the law. They've all violated it. And so he said in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But you see, the Jews, they feel rejected. So Paul devotes chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11 to the Jew as he presents his doctrine of vindication. Who's he vindicating? He's vindicating God. He's showing the Jew that God is not unjust. He hadn't rejected you because he just decided to reject you. He rejected you because of Romans 10, verse 1. They walked according to law and not according to grace. God's mercy has always been to a remnant that understood and followed his grace, not his law. Because law condemns, that's all it does. The law had no provisional clause in it to justify the violator. And so the law, in all of its entirety, in all of its 860 pieces plus the Ten Commandments. All of it was declared in the Scriptures to be the law, as Galatians 3 says, it led men to Christ. And so the law in the Old Testament, it pointed the Jew to Christ in the future and, to the and because of Christ through God's mercy that came by way of Christ. They missed it. There's people today that miss the same thing. There's a parallel here, and we need to see it. The Jew, his boasting was in the works of the law. Listen to it in Romans 10, 1 and 2. Brethren, my heart's desire, Paul said, for Israel is that they might be saved. Well, just a minute, Paul. You mean they're not saved? That's exactly what Paul said. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record to have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And then he further explains this zealousness of theirs. It wasn't in the grace of God and the election by grace. It was in their ability to keep law. They were proud of themselves. They were uh, staunch uh, uh, law observers. So Paul said, for going about to establish their own righteousness, they have rejected the righteousness of God. Did you pick up on two righteousnesses there? They're going about to establish what? Their own righteousness. And then when they do that, what have they rejected? The righteousness of God, which is by faith in Christ Jesus. God has never saved a man, never will any other way than by faith. <coughs> Again, in Habakkuk 2, verse 4, in the Old Testament, it establishes the fact that God has always dealt with man according to one doctrine, and that's the law of, of faith, because it says the just. The man that would be just before God walks by faith and not by sight. Well, the Jew was a staunch person, that saw nothing beyond the works of law. And consequently, he failed to see the law of faith. Did you know that that's very prevalent today? 
The Bible teaches that many are called, but few are chosen. There's the many versus the few. God is in the remnant business. Look at verse 5 of chapter 10 there. He says, even so, then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of works. No, of grace. Men are just the same. Human nature hadn't changed. And so the parallel between us and the Jews is that the majority of those who profess to be Christians are following law rather than grace. They don't understand God's grace. And because of it, they put their, their trust in themselves and their ability to be good. Goodness never saved anybody. Jesus saves, not goodness. 1 Corinthians uh, 1 verse 30. God has made Jesus to be what to us? Our righteousness, our justification. And so you're saved not by your righteousness, but by what he done. And that's what Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says. For by grace are you saved through your faith. Not works, but through your faith. Uh, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. You mean my salvation's a gift of God? That's exactly what Paul said. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. If salvation were a matter of works, then there's people that give billions to the poor. There's people that does many good deeds in life. And we just look at them, oh, isn't he a wonderful person? Well, he may be wonderful in that respect, but he's not saved. Because works don't save people. Not of works, lest any man should boast. There's men that can boast of their works. Look at all I've done. I've heard preachers stand in the pulpit and boast about all their years of labor in the Lord. Something that is so putrefying it almost makes you want to puke right there. They boast of their works. The Jews, they were boasting of... Uh, remember the Pharisee that Jesus talked about that went out at noon? He waited till the streets were full of people. And he went out in front of them and he said with a loud voice so that they could see and hear him. I thank thee, Lord, that I'm not like that sinner over there. For I tithe daily and I do this and I do that. And then Jesus talked about another man who went home justified because he smote his chest and he said, God, forgive me, a sinner. And so salvation is not a, a matter of merit on our part. Salvation is a free gift. Totally, completely, thoroughly, 100% free. You've got to lay hold on it. Paul admonished his audience in his time to lay hold on salvation. And we do that by our obedience in the baptistry, don't we? And our walking after Jesus. But our walk is never a perfect walk. It won't be the day we die, we'll be a sinner. There's never a moment in time when you'll not be a performer, performer of sin. It won't be deliberate. It'll be the sin of uh, omission rather than the sin of commission. But nevertheless, you'll die a sinner. But you'll die a saved sinner. Because salvation not by your works, lest any man should boast. Because Paul went ahead and said in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, well, we, as Christians, we're his workmanship. You see, he done the work, not you. He done the work, and the Jew couldn't see that. Didn't the law in the Old Testament speak of Christ? Was it in Galatians, the third chapter, didn't Paul say that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ? Absolutely. And after that, we have no more need of the law or the schoolmaster. They didn't see that. In all of their teaching, it was designed for them to see what law was adding up to, the bringing about of this marvelous age of grace and mercy. They didn't see it. It was there to see, 
You and I can look back, and we go back many times with the apostles in their teaching, and we see the Christ and his salvation being declared in prophecy. They didn't see it. It was there to see. Jesus spoke of the Jew sadly. He said on one occasion, having eyes to see, they refused to see what's seeable. Having ears to hear, they refused to hear, lest I should heal them. And so the Jew, he's lost because he didn't walk by faith but by works. He boasted of his works. He thought his salvation came by works and merit. And there's many uh, professing Christians today that think that they're going to be saved because they're goody-goody two-shoes. They do this and they give money and they do that. None of that has any bearing on salvation. Salvation's a free gift. It's a gift of God. The righteousness that you're, you have is the result of the work that Jesus did at Calvary. Look at 2 Timothy 5 and verse 21, I believe it is. 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians. What did I say? You said Timothy, but it's Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5. And, thanks, son. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. There is the doctrine of substitution in that it says that God took our son and sin and gave it to Christ. And he took Christ's righteousness, his righteous performance, and gave it to us. And there's the doctrine of substitution. He took my sin and gave me his righteousness. And so when God sees me, he sees me as his son. Because I bear the righteousness of Christ if I believe in him. The Jew didn't see that, but it was taught in the Old Testament and prophecy all the way through. They didn't see it. No more than people today want to see it either. Because a legalist, he'll preach the cross of Christ, but he does not look to the cross of Christ for victory. He looks to himself. He has this attitude of mind that if I live long enough to be good enough, I might be saved. I hope the Lord lets me live long enough to be good for salvation. What's he looking at? Is he looking at a cross? No, he's looking at his own ability. And he's just like the Jew that Paul wrote about in Romans 10, 1 and 2 that we're studying about tonight. Going about to establish their own righteousness. In doing so, they've rejected the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Christ Jesus. The New Testament teaches clearly, as the Lord said, many are called, but few are chosen. You're not chosen as a, a, just a group, in a sense. There's a remnant within that group that will be saved. And so Paul has been talking to us, particularly uh, the last time we got together in Romans 10, 11, verse 1 through 10, about a remnant. God's in the remnant business. Jesus has told us that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to hell, and many there be enter therein. But on the other hand, very narrow and straight is the gate that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. There's not very many people looking into the depths of Christianity. They got this concept, as long as I'm good and everything, how could God turn away from me? I'm so precious in the eyes of God. That makes you want to puke, doesn't it? Because it's not by our merit at all. It's by the grace of God. And God said over and over in the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah the 50th chapter, He said there'll be nobody boasting of my glory. This is my glory, my salvation. And no man has a right to boast. There's nothing we can do but give thanksgiving for the gift of God. But I'm saved by His grace. And I'll be a remnant amongst the majority of those called Christians. And you will be too if you walk by faith and not by sight. <laughs> so, I hope that's somewhat of an introduction to what we was reading in Romans 11 because that's the question that he answers there in verse 1 
Has God cast away his people? God forbid. He hadn't cast away his people. But see, they didn't recognize who his people were. They weren't those that followed the law. They was ones who uh, believed, had faith in God. Because they had faith in God, they'd done their best to observe the law. That's true, like we do. But they weren't saved by law keeping. They were saved by faith. God is not twofold or fourfold or sixfold. He's a, uh, uh, Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi 3, verse 6. God says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I, Jehovah, change not. He don't change. So he's been this way since... Uh, since the revealing of, of time to you and me, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He doesn't change. So, uh, so God's dealings with man is according to his grace. He wanted to save us, but only those who will humble themselves. And that's why Peter said in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. He'll build you up. He'll exalt you. Verse 11 said, After you suffered a while, he'll establish, strengthen, and settle you. But there is no glorying in man or man's ability. It's in a cross. And so the legalist, he looks to the future. I hope I'm good enough to be saved one day. I hope I live long enough to be good enough. The Christian looks back to the past and says, there's my salvation on the cross. There's my righteousness. There's my peace with God. He made it for me. He done the work. For by grace you saved through your faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of your works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. He done the work in Christ Jesus. We have good works to do, but they don't save us. They're the result of the Spirit of God dwelling in us because we've humbled ourselves under the mighty hand of God. All right, so, so Paul's been dealing with this question. Uh, has God cast away his people? Verse 1 of chapter 10, or 11. God forbid. In other words, no way. God hadn't cast away his people. But see, they didn't understand. They're like a lot of people on judgment day. There are going to be many people that's going to cry out, as it were, well, Lord, how can you deny me? I was a member of the church of Christ. Yeah, but you weren't devoted to my son. You didn't believe in my son. You believed in yourself. You believed in your own ability. You trusted in your own strength and might, not in the Lord. Well, so you can see the parallel here. They were of works rather than the law of faith. And there's people today just like the Jew back then. So does chapter 9, 10, and 11 have any bearing for you and me? Yes, it does. It certainly does. We've got to see ourselves like the Jew was. One who trusts in law rather than faith. There's a passage of scripture that says that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. It doesn't say works. It doesn't say works is the victory that overcomes the world. No. No. Whatever works you do will be because of the Spirit of Christ that dwells in you. And you don't have any place to boast there either. <coughs> That's what Paul said when he presented the mercy of God in Romans 3, verse 20 uh, through 37. In verse 27, he asked the question, In view of God's mercy and grace, where is boasting then, he said? It's excluded. What excluded it? The law of works? Nay, but the law of grace. The law of God's grace and mercy excludes this boasting of men. And yet you see where the church of Christ has these preachers that have these gatherings 
and large gatherings throughout a state or maybe the whole United States. They have these gatherings and they'll get up and praise brother so-and-so because he started churches everywhere in the world and this brother over here because he's a missionary to all places in the world. Their boasting is in men and in works, not in Christ. What Christ does through me is his works, not mine. The spirit that I would preach from if I, pre if I preach grace is his spirit, not mine. I'm the recipient of the blessings of Almighty God through his son. And we've got to see that or, or we're just uh, spitting into the wind, that's all. You might as well fold your Bible and go home and forget it. If you can't see the grace of God. You're not saved by works, you're saved by grace. Jude didn't see that. And he's all puffed up and he's wondering, well, how come God rejected us? We're his, why, he chose a Jewish family. And Paul said he hadn't rejected you, but salvation is of a remnant. And so Paul presents the doctrine of Israel as the whole group. And yet, there's a remnant within that group that will be saved. Only a remnant. And that's to say with the church. There will be those who belong to the church of Christ. But they don't belong in, uh, they don't belong by knowledge and understanding. They belong because they somehow drifted into it. They've never accepted the mercy of God through grace. And there will still be just a remnant that will be saved. Because Jesus said on one occasion, many are called, few are chosen. You see why Paul wrote to Corinthians and said, brethren, we need to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we drift away for if the word spoken by angels is steadfast and every transgression receives a just recompense of reward, how do you think you're going to escape if you neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and afterwards was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, the apostles? And God's in there too, because verse 4 says that God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his will. Salvation's there, not all men saw it. Salvation was God's redemptive power was amongst the Jews, but they didn't see it. They looked to their, well, I went to the temple and I offered a lamb and I offered a turtle dove and I offered this and I offered that and I done according to the steps of the law. But they never saw that the man is saved is saved by faith, not by works. And so their rejoicing was not in God and in His mercy. Their rejoicing was in themselves. So proud of themselves. And sad to say, we support school systems and colleges that teaches these young people pride in themselves. Look what I am. Oh, look at here, the little boy potted his britches. Isn't that cute? And you're building a monster. And you're destroying that little boy or that little girl. They've done a pretty good job, haven't they? The devil's designed for destruction. The public school. <coughs> We're not studying that, but who's responsible for teaching their children? Who does God hold responsible? Public school? No, that's an invention of man. That's an organization set up by man. <coughs> Read Ephesians 6, verse 2. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but raise and train them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's a personal responsibility. Why do you think God gave little children a father and a mother? <laughs> well, okay. So here in chapter 11, verse 11 through 16, 
Paul gives some instructions about Israel. He's going to state a reality, and that's the way that they are. And he's going to state a possibility, the way they can be. Now the first reality is found in verse 11, and that is that the Jewish fall brought Gentile <coughs> salvation. Now that's the reality of what happened. The question is asked in verse 11. I say then, did they stumble that they might fall? In other words, was God's intent uh, for Israel to, that Israel's fall at total destruction? No, never, never. Uh, but by their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. Now God's seen the good in this, and he also seen the outcome would bring them back to him those who were sincere. But God has stated over and over in the Old Testament, I take no delight in the death of the wicked, He says over and many times. And He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's a quotation from the New Testament. And so God is not guilty of condemning anybody. They condemn themselves because they will not believe. You know, you can have a belief, but not the true belief. <laughs> you can believe partially, but not totally. And that's the way a lot of people are. Their belief is really in themselves, not in Christ. Well, now that's not only states the reality here, but it states the purpose of the reality. What is the reality? that their fall brought about salvation to the Gentiles. Paul said to the Jews, it was necessary that the gospel be first preached unto you. But seeing you judge yourselves unworthy to it, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. That's a quotation of Acts 13, verse 46. When Paul was on his missionary journeys, he stated very clearly, and I'll read it again in Acts 13, 46. He said it was necessary that the gospel be first preached unto you Jews. But seeing you judge yourselves unworthy of it, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So when did uh, the Gentiles begin to be saved in the great in great numbers that they were saved in in the book of Acts and in the epistles? When the Jews fell. That's when. When the Jews stumbled at the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense, which the Old Testament declared that they would, as God foresee all things. You know, Romans 4.17, you, you can never, you never want to forget Romans 4.17, because Paul quotes the Old Testament where it also says the same thing. God sees, calls those things that be not as though they already were. In other words, God looked down through the corridors of time and he saw the very end of time from the very beginning of time. There is no secrets uh, with God. There is nothing that slips up on his backside and shocks him. He knows full well everything. All right, so when the Jews stumbled at the stone of stumbling and rock of offense, what did the entire preaching force of the church then do? They turned to the Gentiles. That's what Paul said there in Acts 13, verse 46. And so the reality is that the Jewish fall has brought salvation to the Gentiles. What was the purpose of that? To prove, to provoke the Jew to jealousy. But now, what's the possibility in all of this? Well, that's seen in verse 12 through 14, and that is a return of the Jews would bring about Abundant salvation. If the fall of the Jew brought salvation, what would the fullness of the Jew bring? I mean, imagine if the Jews fell, uh, then a handful of Jews turned to the Gentiles bringing salvation. Imagine what would have happened if the entire nation accepted uh, truth and then gone out to preach to the Gentiles. Now that's going to be his statement in verse 12 through 14. The reality is the Jew fell and that brought through, uh, through the preaching of, to the Gentiles a conversion of the Gentiles. 
But now that the fall of the Jews brought salvation, how much more would uh, their fall, their fullness bring salvation? So what if the Jew, after Paul had written this epistle, turned as a nation to accept Jesus, what would that result in? Oh, much more salvation among the Gentiles. Who's preaching to the Gentiles? Well, Jews are, are most of the folks. Uh, most of the folks that go with Paul are Jews. A handful of Gentiles, that's true. But what was the bulk of the people? They were Jews. Imagine what would have happened if uh, we would have had a fullness of Jews rather than just a group of a small remnant because of a fall. And so Paul states the possibility being in verse 12. He says, Now if their fall is the riches of the world and their loss the riches of the Gentiles, there's the reality. How much more their fullness? There's the possibility. Verse 13, But I speak to you that are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles. I glory, I glorify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy them that are my flesh and may save some, some of them. Now he's going back to that statement up there, uh, uh, provoke to jealousy. If a small amount of Jews uh, active among the Gentiles brought life and glory to the Gentiles, which is the reality here, how much more of their fullness and so their fullness would have brought many, many more. Now there's their possibility. If a handful of missionaries are being used by God in bringing hundreds and thousands of people into the kingdom, imagine what would happen uh, with a fullness in missionary work. That's what he's setting before the Jewish mind. All right then, the reality is again stated in verse 15a. He says, For if the casting away of them is the reconciling uh, of the world. Now that's the reality. There is the present reality. God cast away the Jews, and that brought world recognition. Because when, and only then, when uh, did the gospel go to full measure and in full uh, force to the Gentiles, when God cast away the Jews. Now, why did God cast away the Jews, according to Paul? Because they cast away the gospel from themselves. You remember Romans 10, 1 and 2? Who's at fault there? And what is the fault? I'll quote it again to you. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel to might be saved, but bear on record to have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Zeal never saved anybody. The Mormons have great zeal. The Jehovah Witnesses have great zeal. They're out there knocking doors, bugging everybody. They're zealous, but not according to knowledge. We're going about to establish Mormonism. They have rejected the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Christ Jesus. And so the Jews' problem was their own of rejection. That's why Jesus was declared to be a stumbling block to them, and they never considered that. And what did they do on the day of Pentecost when, G when Peter, uh, along with the eleven, stood up in verse 14 and began to preach to them Jesus? My goodness, they come to see that they murdered their own Messiah and 3,000 Jews were cut to the heart and cried out, men and brethren, what should we do? They realized they killed their own Messiah that they were waiting for. Didn't see him. Didn't recognize him. So it was necessary that the gospel be first preached unto you, Paul said in Acts 13, verse 46. But since you count yourselves unworthy of it, since you cast it from you, we're turning to the Gentiles. That was a Jew talking to the Jews. You remember in the book of Acts, I forget what passage it is, but it says that Paul's custom, everywhere he went on his missionary journeys throughout the world, was to first go to his own kindred, the Jew. He went to the synagogue and tried to convert them. On this occasion, they, in the 16th chapter, they turned away from him and they ran him out. 
And so he said, well, I'll try it. And he turned to the Gentiles. And so the rejection of the Jews brought about the Gentile conversions. And so the casting away of the Jew brought world recognition. That's the same reality, simply stated another way. Uh, and the future possibility is life and holiness for the castaway Jew. That's what it is, a future possibility. They have a possibility of being saved. But the reason God rejected them is because they walked according to law, not according to faith in Christ. He says in verse 15b, uh, he says, What shall the, uh, the receiving of them be but life from the dead? That's what happens to a man when he wakes up to reality and obeys the gospel. Life from the dead. Every time a Jew was brought to Jesus, after Paul wrote this book, it was life from the dead. Even though they were a Jew, it was life from the dead. Now in chapter 11, he goes to give us an illustration here in, in a minute uh, of an olive tree and its branches. And that olive tree was not the Jewish nation as such, but Abraham's covenant promise of which the Jewish nation was a part of it. And there was some branches that were cut out uh, of that promise, out of that promise tree. And then, and then wild olive branches grafted in among them to share and uh, to participate in the blessings of the root, of the fatness of the root. Now Paul will make a stronger application of that in chapter 15 when he talks about the fact that the Gentiles were uh, uh, spiritually uh, debtors to the Jews. But his statement is here that the Jews being cast away has brought world recognition. But God is able to graft into that tree the very branch that has been cut off. And so does a Jew have hope? Yes, he does. He can be grafted back in, but it will be because of his obedience to the gospel, not because of his law keeping. Now that may not be... Uh, uh, Paul's presentation of the olive tree may not be uh, automatically uh, possible, but he's not dealing with botany here. Uh, it's just using the illustration from botany. He's dealing with spiritual life. And no man cannot be brought back, and no man cannot be brought back to life if he wills to be brought back to life. Now, he may reach a point that he may not will to, and I believe that the Bible teaches that he can reach that point where he don't want to be saved, but there is no man that has ever sunk so deep that he cannot be brought back to life and put back in the tree, uh, this olive tree, if he wills to do so. And so there's hope for the Jew, Paul's saying. And so the future possibility is life, from the dead. They have that possibility. But they're all puffed up now because God hadn't accepted all of them as a nation. No, he accepted a remnant. You read the Old Testament and you've got to be a complete imbecile not to see that God is in the remnant business. He's in the remnant business. Always has been. Then in verse 16, he states another one. He says, For if the first fruit is holy, so is the lump. And if the root is holy, uh, so are the branches. And so the future possibility is holiness for the Jews. But it's got to be by their obedience. Now he's going to use the second illustration he, he made there as a basis of a long illustration now to speak a word to the Gentiles. But now what's his word to the Jews? That you have stumbled and have been cast away. That wasn't God's fault. That was theirs. Their choice. That's the reality, isn't it? His word concerning Israel is what? 
that they have stumbled and have been cast away. Now what was the outcome of that? The fact that Gentile salvation and world recognition, that's the outcome of it. Now what was the purpose of that? To provoke them to jealousy? But what was the Jews' future possibility? Salvation, life, and holiness. So there's the word concerning Israel. Is that not a word of great comfort to them then? Absolutely. As well as warning? It certainly is. I mean the warning is they have stumbled, fallen, and been cast away. But does he not give them great comfort in the fact that God had, had no intent of their eternal damnation? Now he may have to damn them eternally, but that's not his intent, is it? That's not his intent in causing them to stumble. That's not his intent in casting them away. God cast them away with what intent? That they're coming back. I mean, that was uh, his intent. That a great, uh, and that's a great word of comfort to the Jew. And so did God cast off his people? Yeah, some of them. To what intent? Salvation. I'm willing to affirm that God has never done anything with any other intent. He has no other intent than salvation. The scripture says very clearly, he's not willing that any one man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, there's where I'm going to stop in our uh, explanation of Romans, uh, this section of Romans in the 11th chapter. Next week we'll go into the warning for the Gentiles that he presents in verse 17 through 24. He's got a warning in here for the Gentiles. But you see the Jew was guilty because he didn't adhere to God's word the way he should have. There's a lot of professing Christians that doesn't listen to God's word. They just hear bits and pieces. They're not interested in studying it. They don't have a love, an ardent love for it. <clears throat> if you love God, you love His Word, don't you? Who is His Word, by the way? When's the last time you read John 1 1? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. By Him all things were made. Without Him was not anything made that is made. Now look at verse 14. That word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only Son of God, full of grace and truth. And the one in verse 18 that was to make known the Father. No man seen God at any time. The only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth, he has declared him. He comes as a declaration of the Father. And so salvation is by grace through your faith. It's a free gift that God offers you. Being baptized is not a work of salvation. It's a work of laying hold on salvation. Let me illustrate that. If the Cadillac dealer called you on the phone and says, you got a free Cadillac over here. The tax has been paid. The license has been paid. Everything. But you got to come over and get it. You see, you're going over to get it and laying hold on that Cadillac has nothing to do with the free gift. It has to do with you laying hold, hold of the free gift that's given you. And that's the way salvation is. And those that believe in Jesus are baptized. Salvation is by faith only. Now, you'll not hear that in the Church of Christ, but that's the truth. Because that's what the scriptures teach. Well, by grace you save through your what? Faith. Uh, what about some of the statements Jesus made about that? My clutch is slipping, son. You got <laughs> You're in uh, Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you save that not of yourselves is a gift of God. It's a gift of God, yeah. But, uh, well, that wasn't what I was aiming at either. Uh, 
That's that. That was the exit that we took. Now yeah. <laughs> oh well. We just we just lost that one. <laughs> it's evident my mind don't stick with what I'm thinking a lot of times. But salvation is by grace, it's not by your works at all. Paul's admonition to the Corinthians was examine yourselves whether you be in the faith or not. Prove your own selves. A lot of Christians aren't interested that far. They're just interested in belonging to a group. And you know, the sad thing is, we've invited a lot of people into the assembly of the church and they don't have a clue to this day what they're, what they're, what they're in because it's not being taught. It's not being preached. When's the last time you heard a sermon that separated the, the religious world from the church of Christ? When have you heard anyone preach on Ephesians 4, 4-6 there's one body, one church, one doctrine, one faith. There's one hope of our calling. There's one spirit that called us. There's one hope of our calling. There's one Lord and one God. How many times have you heard that phrase? Not very many because, see, that would offend too many people. Oh, you mean there's only just going to be a remnant saved? That's exactly what that verse teaches. Because there ain't very many looking. Oh, that's poppycock to say that these other good people out here is going to hell. Hell's going to be glutted with a bunch of good people people you know, people that are in your family. Because salvation is a matter of God's grace and it's a matter of laying hold on that salvation that He offers. No wonder Paul said you need to examine yourself. You need to look closely to your concepts of belief. The Bible, God's Word will straighten it out, but you've got to look at it. You've got to make that decision. Thank you for listening to me. Uh, you're probably more confused than it was when you came. <laughs> but I'm sure you can get the picture of the Jew. He felt like God had rejected the whole nation. And Paul points out, no, there's always just been a remnant. In the days of Elijah, was there just a remnant? Here was ten tribes to the north called Israel. And there was only a remnant that was faithful. Remember when Elijah ran from Jezebel? He ran and he was up in a cave. And God come to him and asked him, what are you doing up here? He said, Jezebel's going to kill me because I'm the only one left. And God said, where'd you get that idea? I have yet 7,000 knees. 7,000 men who have not bowed a knee to Baal. So God was in the remnant business, wasn't he? And all the way, and that's one of Paul's arguments there in the first part of chapter eleven. He shows that, uh, and he he shows that God hadn't rejected Israel because he starts out in verse one saying, "I myself am a Jew. I I wasn't rejected. I was the chief of sinners, and yet God saved me." And so he's trying to show the Jew that salvation's available, it's attainable, but not according to their uh, way of thinking because they looked only to the law. That's why they didn't see Christ. They didn't see that the law was to bring them to Christ. They didn't see those things. Jesus told about the Jews in John 17, they teach for doctrine the commandments of men. And he said before that, that's why they worship me in vain. For they honor me with their lips but their heart's far from me. And you know that's the problem in the church today. Many people honor Jesus with their lips. Oh, how I love Jesus! And they're, they're, they're focusing on how beautiful they sound in, pre, in singing. Oh, didn't we sing that song marvelously? They don't think any deeper than that. <coughs> it's sad, but that's the way it is. Until a man humbles himself before the mighty hand of God, there is no salvation for him. Humble 
means to submit yourself completely, totally, and thoroughly. As Jesus did. He said on one occasion, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And the King David said the same thing. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. You do with it as you will, Father. I hear and listen and I'll obey. You command and I'll obey. You don't find people like that today. You find these little rodents that's been raised from the public cesspool called the public school, and they're rodents, that's all they are. They're self-egotistical, arrogant, boasters. Paul talks about that in some of his epistles. Boastful, proud, arrogant. And they'll miss God's grace every time because they're looking to self. How could God refuse a person like me? I'm so beautiful. I'm so wonderful. <laughs> anyway, let's stand while we sing our clothing hymn. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Trying to study, and 